whistleblower report exposing lies deceptions and all that has assaulted our way of life we must take back our freedom and live as god designed in a free america that honors our constitution and our creator our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. For such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to another Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America from Truth for Health Foundation. And we are here with the legal report today with some blockbuster guidance for all of you listeners. What can you do to hold your local officials accountable? What can you do to take active steps? You don't have to sit and wait to have an attorney. You don't have to sit and wait for the politicians who do nothing and promise everything. You get off your couch and you get started. It's called pro se litigation. And I have two top attorneys here today to talk about how all of you as whistleblowers who see the fraud in your community, who see the illegal actions, who see the unconstitutional violations, can take action at the local level on things like election integrity fraud in the hospitals, fraud in city council, and the way they have cronyism in the awarding of grants and projects. There are all kinds of things you can do, and you're going to learn a lot today. So hold on to your hat, take notes, get your paper and pencil out, and here we go. Our first speaker and the organizer of a major symposium on October 6th, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time via Cloud Hub is Todd Callender, international tax, insurance, and disability rights attorney who has spent a career working actually in countries coming out of communist control, helping them to develop a free economy like we are supposed to have, but don't quite these days. He has also worked in disability rights. He has ex an experience time in working with the vaccine manufacturers in clinical trials with injectors to make that process go more smoothly. So he knows how they work and he knows what some of the problems are in that field. Amazing background, bringing together a lot of things we need in the fight today. And then we have a, a top uh, tiger in the field of exposing fraud and fighting back legally, Warner Mendenhall. His websites are warnermendenhall.com, healthfreedomcouncil.com, and he is the law firm representing Brooke Jackson, the Pfizer whistleblower, and other pandemic fraud whistleblowers throughout the country in a big KETAM case in Beaumont, Texas. Warner actually has made it his mission to fight corruption and the abuse of power throughout Ohio and across the country from the mandates and vaccination requirements that first rolled out in 2020. He has sought to stop those and, and fight back against all of the illegal mandates. 
And his law group holds the state, local, federal, and corporations accountable for proper governance and proper expenditure of taxpayer dollars. He is passionate about helping people stand up to government abuse, corporate fraud, and bank malfeasance. And we couldn't have anybody better to be your teacher today on how you get started on local local legal action in your community. Todd and Warner, welcome to the Whistleblower Report today, and thank you for being with us. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Doctor. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Bleed. You are so welcome. Okay, Todd, take it away. Let's talk about your Five Small Stones initiative and how you are helping all of us who are little Davids go up against the Goliaths of big tech, big government, big pharma, and the global predators who are trying to take away our lives, our livelihood, and our freedom. So tell us about that initiative and then Let's let's start out with um, Warner telling us what do we do? What is this pro se litigation? What does it mean, and how do you get started? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, this is really a, a rinse and repeat situation, Doctor. What we're doing is recreating, or, or rather, having a second part to something we already did. You might recall uh, in August of last year, we filed suit against the Department of Defense, Health and Human Services, and the FDA on the basis that the uh, Pentagon, the the Secretary of Defense, in fact, had ordered that all the troops receive these experimental uh, gene modification shots, knowing that that is illegal, knowing that um, their protections provided the service members, we filed suit. And um, out of that, immediately thereafter came thousands and thousands of service members who were looking for help, how to get exemptions from the shots, um, among other things. And our little firm of of three lawyers doing pro bono work couldn't keep up. And and so we made a decision that we would draft five or six different templates uh, for the service members to download. We posted them at a a website called VaxChoice, V-A-X-Choice.com. And literally hundreds of thousands of service members downloaded uh, complaints, um, whistleblower uh, reports, uh, religious exemptions, medical exemptions, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what effectively happened is they papered the DOD into a mire that they still have not escaped from. That it was so overwhelming what that group, that 200, 300,000 Davids took on the, the most important and powerful military on the planet and ground them to a halt. So here we are presented with much the same issues. There's a, a move to make these emergency powers that caused all this permanent and we were trying to get our, our heads around how do we stop this? And it dawned on us that we could do the same thing, but on a grander scale, given the, the prospect of what is in front of us is a never ending um, situation of emergency powers, a never ending lockdown, a never ending series of violation and suspension of your rights, no matter where you live on the planet, because this is global. So that's the, the um, Five Small Stones initiative. We're having the symposium October 6th. That's Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, you'll hear some speakers that talk about you know, what it is we're, we're doing, where we're at, uh, military, medical, martial law, the weaponization of public health, and most importantly, what do you do about it? And that's why Warner is here. Um, after the symposium, there is a, a set of breakout rooms and experts like Warner, for example, Warner himself, God willing, <laughs> will be there to give their own lectures, giving their own uh, insight as to what do you do and how do you do it? And, uh, you know, I'm not a litigator by trade. 
So I really don't have the same level of experience that, that Warner does. And I really wanted him to impart to people the simplest of things because pro se means for yourself. And that's what happened in the military. They did it without lawyers. That's what we're telling people. You don't need us. There's a handful of us willing to help you. Put the other ones aside. Um, we're going to change from being advocates into law professors. And, and that starts today uh, with the benefit of Warner's experience and knowledge. And I just wanted to thank him and you, doctor, for helping us do this. This is the moment that we rise up and we lawfully take our planet back. We have to do it lawfully. We have to do it carefully. Um, we have to ensure everybody's rights are, are represented uh, and secured. And that starts by using the legal process. So with that, I was hoping, Warner, that you could um, walk us through. If you were a pro se litigant and, for instance, you were worried about election integrity, you know, a lot of people worried that, that November 8th is coming around. How do I know my vote counts? What would you do about that? Given the short period of time between now and then, how would you approach that if you were a pro se litigant or a pro se complainant? Well, given the limitations on the time and we're, you know, yeah, we're coming right up on the election. I, I mean, the best thing to do is understand what is happening at your local board of elections. Uh, you know, there are processes in place for the election to be observed and you may be qualified to be an observer. You, for example, candidates themselves can nominate individual electors to go be an observer as to what's happening at the Board of Elections. Um, the, the parties as well have the ability to nominate somebody to see what's happening at the Board of Elections. The other thing that happens down there, obviously, is they are generating public records. So this goes actually to after the election, but those, those ballots, those public records have to be preserved for a period of a couple of years. Find out though, immediately after the election, what happened, who, vo you know, who voted, and, and can you get a copy of those ballots? We've had fights in Ohio about getting copies of those ballots. Remember, these are your public records. You have a right to see them. And in some cases, people have actually taken, taken the scanned copies of the ballots, or maybe they've even gone and counted the actual paper ballots, and they found out that the count was wrong. So let's double check them at every step of the way to make sure that things are accurate. So you have these rights to observe, to count, uh, to request public records, so participating in the process is really the first thing to figure out under your state's law how you can participate. Now, there are some, you know, there are some other things that can be done at different stages in elections. There's election challenges that can happen. You can challenge signatures. You can challenge voters' right to vote. You know, if you think somebody's not eligible to vote, you can make a challenge to that person. So th these are all things that that. Uh, I don't think people have any awareness of. One of the items in Ohio law that I find interesting that I have not seen litigated, though I'm getting ready to litigate it, is this issue of being able to observe the count. They call it a canvas in, in Ohio. So to be able to observe the canvas, that's actually written into state law. And I have a question for, you know, for our government, because how can anyone observe the count, the counting of ballots, if a machine is doing it? 
So yeah. I don't think that makes any sense. And we are getting ready to challenge that. You know, and obviously I'm, I've been hired by a campaign to, to work on these issues. And, and in fact, uh, we'll be working on it. But, but these lawsuits, and now let's get into lawsuits a little bit. You well, know, I was going to say, okay. one of the things that I wanted to bring to you is, is that people are concerned that the last election was stolen. So what you're talking about is after the election has happened, then what do we do? I think people are looking to prospectively try and challenge this, whether that's by temporary restraining orders or other injunctive relief to have police present to eliminate electronic voting. There is a lot of evidence that's come into effect and some court decisions that indicate that these machines are, are uh, illegal in, in various state laws, and they're also fraudulent or perpetrating fraud. How do we get ahead of that? How do people get some level of confidence that their vote is actually going to count? Well, for one, one thing that I will promise, and, and we are working on uh, developing these arguments right now, we, at, we have a website called Health Freedom Council. I will put on there a folder with whatever we are doing and whatever we are researching so that that is available to the community at large. Uh, understand the machines that we have been using are very hackable. That's been, that has been proven over and over again for 20 years. And I've actually been concerned about it for that long. Um, you know, we, we've been very concerned about these machines. So in terms of attacking the machines themselves, and doing it from a pro se basis, I think there are probably two pathways. And what you have to look at, so let's talk about the state law pathway first. In Ohio, we have set up specific requirements for what has to happen in the election process. So what a pro se person needs to do is understand what those processes are. And you can see that the Secretary of State or a Board of Elections is not following those processes. So you do have to, you're going to have to do some work. It's not, it's not something you can just jump in tomorrow and say, oh, it's fraudulent. There's a problem with these machines. There's a problem with the election. You are going to have to understand your state law process first. So, and I can talk federally a little differently, but state law is important to parse out. So look at what their requirements are and figure out where they're not following them. And if you see that a board of elections is not following the law, you can file a lawsuit, a pro se lawsuit that does mean by yourself. And one of the lawsuits that you can file is something called in Ohio, a writ of mandamus. Uh, in California, I think it's a writ of mandate. Uh, but what that is, is when our public officials have a duty and you have a, you have a right that they do their duty, you can file this action called a writ of mandate or writ of mandamus. And what that does is it just brings the court in to observe and to judge whether they're doing their duty as to the citizens. And it puts them on the spot. Now that complaint gets filed with your county courthouse. You might be able to file it in, at the appellate uh, level uh, directly skipping over the common pleas or the local courthouse level. Uh, but let's just talk about the local courthouse. So you figure out the rule that's being broken. You figure out your right and their duty 
And then you can actually file a complaint asking the court to compel them to do their duty. Now, the election's only in coming up here in the beginning of November. So this is probably going to complicate things a little bit, but that's okay. Normally, they have 28 or 30 days to answer a complaint. So you're going to have to do something else if you want them to answer right now. You're going to have injunctive relief available. You're going to have to file for injunctive relief. You go in, you file your complaint, and then you say a separate motion. It would be a motion for, you know, in Ohio, it's called a temporary restraining order um, to to force them to do their duty. So a temporary restraining order in the courts gets handled with all due haste. When you file it, a lot of times they will have a hearing that day or the next day, very, very quickly though. It takes priority over everything else on the docket. So, and the docket means the court schedule, by the way, I'm trying to keep it simple. So, um, it takes priority over everything in the court schedule, but you have to be ready to go. I've done many uh, TROs in my time, and man, you have got to have your evidence crystal clear, and you have to understand your rights and their duty in a crystal clear way. And when you walk into that court, you've got to be ready to argue it. And I know this is very, very scary for most people. Um, do, you, um, do you think that you've got the evidence you said you're going to make your folder available? Do you think you've got evidence to show that the machines are hackable and therefore should not be used under various state laws? Would that be compelling evidence for a court to hear? I, look, I, I absolutely believe it's compelling evidence. I think we've known for 20 years these machines are yeah. really junk. They've got some of them have wireless connections, direct Internet connections. They have very uh, bad hardware that can be uh, flipped around. Uh, you know, there's stuff on the internet about it uh, where you can change the machine in about a couple of minutes, put a different ROM, uh, you know, ROM piece in there. Um, you know, they're, the, the machines are often old. Um, the, the hackability of it is, is so well known on the internet. Anybody can get that. You just look up what kind of machine it is and what kind of access it has and whether it's wireless, has a wireless connection. Um, so we also know that in some situations, the actual count of the election is performed by a machine that's not even in the state in which the election has taken place. That happened in Ohio, of course. Um, and a friend of mine uh, named Cliff Arnebeck tried to, he did a, a bunch of litigation in the mid 2000s over that. Um, and he got very, very, very worried, uh, especially as his witnesses seemed to be disappearing, including one through a plane plane crash. He, he did not. He got very concerned about it. Um, so there's been a lot of litigation in that area that's absolutely proven it. And I think the proof has gotten stronger over time rather than weaker. So we know way more now than we did back in the mid 2000s about what the problems are with these machines and how easy it is to rig them if you wanted to. Now, I know all our secretaries of state say, oh, they're secure. It's not happening. But uh, I, uh, that's the reason that I want us to get back to hand counted in-person paper ballot voting. That Can we ask for that? Can somebody go and ask for that in this writ of mandamus, this yes. TRO? 
You could ask for a hand count as a court may order it. Yeah, I think that's the way to do it. So you go in. I, I mean, look, let's I'm going to be honest with people. OK, going in, even at me as an attorney with with my evidence very well organized, I got to tell you, it's a very long shot that a court immediately grants a TRO for us. Okay. So let's just be real about it. it. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want people to think, Oh, I'm going to run into court, you know, and this is going to get, you know, going to get an instant result. Let me Uh, give you odds on that. Let us say that out of the 3,706 counties in this country, all of those were filed. Do you think there's a chance that one or two of those might actually prevail on such a a TRO? I, Todd, I really appreciate that question because it's an interesting idea. Um, because if a judge did say, look, we're going to grant this TRO, um, or if, if even if a hearing got scheduled for somebody, I, I, I think I'm going to say this now, I'm probably going to get myself in a lot of trouble. We would be happy to uh, try to back you up legally. I, I mean, I'm not, you know, if I practice out of state, I have to do something called a pro hoc vice filing. That means we'll it's out of state attorney. I could come in, but we would be more than happy if there's some traction, if a judge is really going to take it seriously, we would be more than happy to make an effort to parachute in literally and and help you make that argument and and uh, you know so i i think that's a very important point um better odds than vegas i I promise you so i i think that's a good point i mean these are very long odds but you know we're doing something that is fast cheap and kind of out of control and we don't know what the and there's a movie by that name by the way uh and uh we don't know what the odds are that somebody will pick it up. But if somebody does with all those filings, good Lord, we'll do everything we can to help you because we've yeah. got to, we got to crack this black box open. Yes, we do. That's and, right. Well, we, and we remember, remember guys, and, and I hate to just call you the colloquial guys, but remember if we don't stand up and do something and take action, of course, the corruption is going to continue. So in one sense, it doesn't matter that the odds are not great. The point is, if you don't try, the odds are 100% against you. So if we can move them to 10%, 15%, 25%, we've got a shot at it. And quite frankly, that was what David did against Goliath. Everybody's standing around, oh, we can't go up against him. He's too big. We don't have the right armament. David believed. He stood in faith and he ran toward the giant and all he had was a slingshot and a leather pouch with five small stones, which is why Todd is calling this the five small stones initiative. We are the stones. We can bring down the giant. If all of the stones of the people across the country file these complaints, take action, and then not only in the court of law, but in the court of public opinion. Call your local press, get your local groups involved, get your churches, your schools, your your community groups, your parents' groups, get your girls' club, your boys' club, whatever you have access to in your network. 
get them involved, tell them what you're doing and ask them to join with you because Democrats and Republicans and Moon Party and Green Party and Independent Party, everybody should come together because everybody wants their vote to count. It's not a right or left. It's not a Democrat or Republican. This is the integrity of our vote as we the people that we count. We matter. And so that's what I want our listeners to hear today. I want you to know it makes a difference when we stand up. If you lie down and give up and don't fight in the court of law, the court of public opinion, and take your action that you control, then you know you're going to lose and you know you're going to live under tyranny and fraud and corruption. And what do you want? You've got to make that decision. So in the couple minutes before we take a break for the radio show, wanted to have you have the dialogue about some of the initial steps. But I really want our listeners in the as we go into the second half, I really want our listeners to feel like this is something I can do. It's my one step. I can be that one stone and maybe I'll hit the forehead of that giant and maybe we'll win. But if we don't try, we sure as heck won't. You got four more stones, doctor. We can launch them all. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And, you know, when when I reactivated this foundation, I just said not only the (laughs) I was one person with a few set of stones against the big giants because I was already (laughs) I had already been fighting to save my patients lives against the lies all through 2020. And I said, nobody's going to tell me how to practice medicine for my patients. If I think I can do something to help save their life, they're not going to die on my watch. If there's something I can do. And I said, I don't really care what the governor says, what Fauci says, what the NIH, all of these bureaucrats that have never treated a patient. I'm going to do what I can do. And when the pharmacist tried to block me on prescribing medicines, I knew my patient needed I figured out a way to find the licensing to dispense it. And we had that option in my state. And so by gosh, I set it up, I did it. And I got my patients what they needed. That's the fire in the belly, the American spirit that has made us the greatest nation in the world and helped us win against the mightiest army in the world in the first American revolution, helped us win against the mighty German and Japanese forces in World War II. And by gosh, let's get that spirit going again today. And we'll come back after the break and talk about more steps you can take in the fight to reclaim your freedom and save your life. So we'll be right back after the break. This is Dr. Lee for America with the Whistleblower Report with attorneys Todd Callender and Warner Mendenhall both of whom have the fire in the belly and they're here to help guide you and with lots of resources. We'll be right back. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet who said, keep your face always toward the sunshine and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio 
liberty and justice for all. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's COFIXRX.com. Save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD at COFIXRX.com. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Hello, everyone. This is Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, U.S. Army and legal grant recipient of the Truth for Health Foundation. I want to give a huge shout out to the Truth for Health Foundation for helping me and my family over the past year with our legal battles. Recently, I was court-martialed for not participating with these experimental COVID-19 emergency use authorized products. If it wasn't for Truth for Health Foundation and all the support, I would definitely be in a worse spot. But because of all the support, I'm able to continue uniform service, fighting for what's right to protect the Constitution against enemies, foreign and domestic. God bless each and every one of you, and God bless America. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report with the legal report on Pod Calendar's Five Small Stones Initiative. And for those of you listening, if you're listening to this show on podcast after the October 6th symposium, all of the resources from that major symposium, international symposium, will be available on Vax. B-A-X-X-Choice.com. They will be available on our website, truthforhealth.com. And I am sure that attorney Warner Mendenhall will have it available on his website, Health Freedom Council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com. So all of these resources are there. You're going to need them. You're going to get busy, and we trust that you're going to get involved, get loud, and start making a difference in your community. 
So let's go ahead with our discussion on just exactly what those steps are. Yeah, thank you, doctor, for that. Um, before the break, we were talking about you know, a TRO. You said it's a temporary restraining order. And I said injunctive relief. What does that mean? And correct me if I'm wrong, but that means we're asking the court to, to stop somebody from doing something or force them to do something. And in this particular case, um, the writ of mandamus, we, we're asking the court to force somebody to do their job, which is but fair elections, for instance. The, 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 the ballots must count. If these machines are, are cheating you know, and, and stealing votes or putting new ones in, that maybe they're not reliable, things of that nature. So how does one actually file a, a TRO is, is the question. And I assume or this is really done in the county courts because the elections are run by the counties. Is that right? That's right. Across the country, counties run the elections. So, you know, we need to be aware of that. And it would be your local county uh, court, which is where you would file. Let me let me explain a little bit further about the difference between mandamus injunction. Then I'll get into what you practically just have to do. Uh, so a mandamus, and the reason I was mentioning mandamus is because in Ohio, I see this requirement that the vote be observable. So the mandamus would be to force them to do something to make it observable so we can actually see it be counted vote by vote. And that's where you'd need a, a restraining order. Well, and then the second one, let's say we're talking about, so that's observability. The second one is the machines. That would be an injunction to stop them from doing something. An injunction stops the action. So on the machine arguments, it's simply that we know we have hackable, unreliable uh, machines. We have plenty of evidence of that. You know, it's right out there on the web. It's been there for 20 years and it's been accumulating over time, including uh, we've seen elections where there's simply the machines have miscounted the ballots. I think there's one in North Carolina like that. There's there's many examples around the country where there's simply been a miscount. And the ones we know about are the ones that got got caught because somebody was watching what was going on. So who knows how many are really out there? I, I uh, wish we knew that. But that's the importance of you guys out there in the audience, because you it's the citizen, it's the electorate that pays attention, that catches them. So just very practically, if you want to do a mandamus to force them to do something under the election code, you, you have to, you know, you you file that complaint or an injunction, you file that complaint with your county clerk of courts. Um, that the complaint itself, I if you are have the capacity uh, to write and use a computer and whatever, please do that. You know, it'll make it easier. And please copy anything you see out there. And we're going to put up, like I said, a folder uh, on election uh, type of complaints that that we can find around the country and that we have so that that'll be available at healthfreedomcouncil.com. It's under documentation. I'll put it there. The, uh, so you, you draft that complaint. Now I want to, I want to encourage people though, who are not technically proficient, don't have a computer and can't print something out on a printer. You can handwrite a complaint. There is no law that says you can't handwrite it. You can write it up on a piece of paper uh, write neatly so they can read what you're doing, but you can handwrite it up and copy any exhibits off and just attach them to that handwritten paper. You, as a pro se uh, plaintiff, it, the formalities are not the same as they are for an attorney like uh, Todd and I. 
So we are required to have a certain font sometimes and a certain type of paper or whatever, or file electronically. You guys do not. You can take your handwritten complaint to the county courthouse, pay the filing fee. It's usually uh, several hundred bucks and get that case assigned to judge. That's the first thing you do. If you want to have a fast hearing, then the second thing you're going to want to do is file for something called a restraining order, a temporary restraining order. Uh, Your local county uh, clerk will have something like that. They might even have something online, some forms available. So you file a temporary restraining order. And like I was saying earlier, be ready when you file that. You don't have to file that the same day you file your complaint. You could spend another week or so getting ready. Uh, but when you file that, that's going to be your argument. That is, that is huge. The election's coming right now. So you've got to have your argument together and make your argument the best way you can. I have seen groups of people uh, work together to formulate arguments. And I, I've got to say they have done a very good job of working with each other to hash it out. Citizens have hashed it out very well, and they've helped each other, and they've actually done, I think, some tremendous work. I've been very impressed with what groups have done, arguing among themselves as to what the best evidence is or how to present it. You can even file it as a group. It doesn't have to be just one plaintiff. If five of you want to do it, put all five of your names on the complaint. So that way you'll have support of your friends and neighbors when you go down there, you can all be part of it. They can't exclude you from, from access to the courts. That's another thing we should say. You have a right in this country to access to your courts. These are your courts. They're owned by the taxpayer. So you cannot be excluded. And if you file that complaint, I mean, you know, this is lessening right now. But honest to God, I mean, we have seen uh, things happen around vaccination requirements and masking requirements. But you have a right to access to those courts. That's a civil right. Um, And if somebody denies your access over one of those issues, again, I I mean, we're buried, but try to reach out to us. Uh, We 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 want people's rights to access to the courts. (laughs) And that's right. If they they deny you access to a, a state court, it's your civil right. You can go into federal court and say, hey, federal court, the state courts are denying my right to access and, and make my argument. So it's, I know we're getting complicated. I'm trying not to get complicated. No, I think it makes perfect sense. Sometimes but, the federal court has to put the state court back in, in order. It happens. Right. So, And that's called a 42 U.S.C. Section 1983 cause of action. Um where that's what drives the constitutional civil rights, you know, into the federal courts under the 14th amendment. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the federal code uh, that, that, that I'm quoting. It's called a 1983 uh, type of action. Civil Uh, rights action. Civil rights action. So that's what we use to get the federal courts to vindicate our civil rights. Now the federal, we might as well segue into the federal courts. If you are filing in federal court, it's the same thing. Look, if you can type it up and copy somebody's complaint or copy the way they did a complaint, 
Like I said, I've got tons of them on the web at Health Freedom Council right now. I don't have specifically elections ones, but I'm going to start putting those up today. I'll so help you. I've got a few too. Okay. If you have some you want to share, I'll get, send to me, Todd. I'll pop them in there so people have a place to go and, and get them as well. Um, but in federal court, obviously, if you can make it nice and neat and tidy for them, great. But if all you can do is handwrite it, you know, for the old folks out there like me or 60 and over who maybe didn't grow up with computers, uh, I get it. I know. I know you have a hard time with the computers. Just write it out. It doesn't matter. And the federal courts have special obligations to take care of pro se plaintiffs. They have to read what you've written and try to, you know, interpret it in a way that fits federal law. Uh, and they have to work with you on some of the federal rules and the processes of federal courts. And furthermore, I mean, you know, there's even ADA Act compliance as well, which you might talk about right. where you, you, they may, you know, if you're disabled uh, in some way, um, maybe you're not vaxxed and that's counted as a disability. I don't know. I'm joking a little bit. Um, but the federal court has to work with you on what you have to do to overcome the motion to dismiss. And they have to work with you in terms of interpreting what you filed under federal law, even state law, because they interpret state laws as well, uh, so that it, it becomes an active complaint. So will they, uh, court, will they help issue the summons? The, you know, because when you file it, you have to tell the other side that you sue them, right? Yes, they, there is usually a form for that at the clerks of courts. I can tell you every clerk of court I've ever been in has a form, and it's called an issuance of summons. So when you file your complaint, then you have to, uh, you have to fill out that, that summons request. And that just describes who should be served. You know, probably we're talking about boards of elections. So get your board of elections address and put Secretary board of elections of on there, secretary of state possibly, and send that, you know, and have them send that complaint to them. Now, can I, can I ask you a question on that real quick? When you said send that complaint to them, my understanding, you're, you're the guy that does this for a living, is that you have to sue for under a 1983 claim, civil rights action, you have to sue those people in their personal capacity because the government isn't the one violating your rights. It's the people running the government that violate your rights. Is that correct? That, that, thank you for pointing that out. Like I said, Todd, I'm going to overlook some of these things because... But yes, if you're suing, uh, the states generally have an immunity, so they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be harping about their immunity. Uh, so you should name if you're going into federal court, uh, you should name individuals. If you're going into state court, it's a little different. But if you're going into federal court, name the individuals because the individuals are the ones who have violated your civil rights. The state body itself is likely immune. From that type of lawsuit, but the individuals who are acting within it and acting under color of law is how we call it, they are not immune. So that's how you get at them. And uh, I, I would offer to you that in our symposium and, and the rooms after, just like what you're setting up with, with your website, we actually have folders of draft complaints and we took the federal forms and they're already put into the folders. Believe it or not, one of those forms is a form complaint under a 1983 claim that the Department of Justice was kind enough to draft for everybody. So, so they've made our job easy. 
I will link to your your site. Please send me whatever link I need on that because I certainly sure. want people to have access to whatever materials they need. Um, sure. The other thing I wanted to say, just to backtrack a little bit, when you file an injunction or TRO, um, that is a little different because the courts, when you go in and ask for what's called emergency relief under a temporary restraining order or an injunction, you don't have to have the other side served necessarily, but usually you have to at least make an affidavit about the efforts that you took to notify them that you wanted to them to either do something that they had to do by their duty or stop doing something that you felt was illegal. So you have to, you know, so phone numbers, who did you call? Who did you try to reach out to? You put that in an affidavit. If you're trying to get an immediate emergency hearing, you, you usually have a requirement for that type of, of effort. So you've got to demonstrate the, the, to the court that you took some steps to notify the other side. But the other thing that's interesting about those, the courts can actually have what's called an ex parte hearing, which means that the defendant, the board of elections or the individuals, whoever, whether it's the state or federal court, they're not even present they don't have to be present sometimes for those initial hearings. You just have to make an effort to get them present. And you usually have to prove that you've done something along those lines. Now, I imagine that these boards of elections are going to show up. So, you know, again, that's why maybe a group of you signs on as a plaintiff. Just list your name and address in a list versus whoever you are uh, intending to, to make do something or stop doing something. Beautiful. And, that, and you said, I'm sorry, but that would be the responsible person for the elections in the county and perhaps the secretary of state in terms of who you would list as defendants, I assume. Right. OK. And then um, a group of plaintiffs. I love your idea on a group of plaintiffs because it, there's strength in numbers. You know, we all don't know the answers and you can divide the labor up to research things. People can look at your side, they'll look at ours and ask for help. And, and it's that collaborative effort. We actually saw that in, in the military pro safe campaign. It was amazing. People started blogs and they were sitting there talking to each other and helping them through. And when one person had some luck, they would share it with everybody else. It was, it was miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. I think you have a chance to do that here on a very grand scale, Warner. Well, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I've seen what we've done since the beginning of the pandemic in so many ways. I am astounded at the amount of crowdsourced information for medical treatment, for legal uh, procedures for the exemption process. We we helped thousands of people as well in the exemption process. We helped some military here uh, locally at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton. Right. So we've been involved in uh, probably almost every space of litigation and effort uh, since the beginning. But the amount of, of cooperation and the community building that we are having um, is really been phenomenal. And I just, you know, I want to thank you listeners because I know you've been doing it. Yeah. And yeah, uh, so it's, I, I, I wanted I, to say to you, sorry, I just wanted to say to you, I make a commitment to you, Warner. Look, you're the expert at this. I am not, but I will put a good faith effort into building a little bit of a checklist for people that are listening to this and they want to do it. You would, if you would please collaborate with me, make sure it's right. And we'll publish that. Uh, and then just make ourselves available to the best of our abilities. I don't know if you've got paralegals or other lawyers that can answer a blog, but we have a blog and available to do that. I know Dr. Bleet also does, um, but I'd really, really like to work with you on making this open to John Q. Public and Jane Q. Public. 
Well, that, and we could actually help make a PowerPoint visual of some of the checklist material, Todd, that you prepare. We'll be happy to help with that. And I really think that we can add that any columns or any written material that both of you would like us to post with this radio show, that gives people a written document that they can print with action steps as well. And we push it out to a broader audience that way. So let's leverage our resources. This really is critical. Time is of the essence. We are coming up on the election. Your efforts in October can make a difference for this election. I, I, I wanna say, I mean, I am literally today working on a lawsuit under the Help America Vote Act uh, because the certification of the machines have not occurred properly uh, in our state, in Ohio. I, I know uh, because of the complexities of the act and the way things have been working out, they probably haven't been properly certified in most states in the United States. So that lawsuit, as soon as I have that complete, which I actually I hope to have it done by the 6th, uh, by the way, Todd. So Beautiful. it'll be available. It's just going to be available. And, and you'll see where um, we believe Ohio fell short under Help America Vote Act. And and our stuff is you, you can use whatever uh, anything we've done is public. So all of our court yeah. filings, they're public. They're your records now. Once I've created something, now they're the taxpayers. It's part of the court system. You can plagiarize it. You can do whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter. You can change the names. You can insert different names and addresses and different defendants and put some plaintiffs up at the top and just and, and, and adjust it for what you know and file it. I mean, anything. This is all your information. It's the people's information. So it, it is. And I, and I think pro se litigants are in a special place. And you made mention of it. The courts have a duty. To the citizens of, of this country, state, county, to help them, in, they have to look at these complaints in the light most favorable to them, and try and help them through the process. You and I are stuck fighting over motions to dismiss all day. It's horrible. Pro se plaintiffs have an advantage here. They really, truly do. The court has to effectively be an advocate for them to receive their day in court, not for them to get a win, but to make sure their rights are, are met and they're, they're had, they have their chance to be there. And, and I want to say something. I actually want to push back a little bit on a word you used to describe me, Todd. You said expert. Um, you are. I, what I want to say, what I want to say to the people out there, listen, we practice law. And the reason we call it practice is because when you step forward and do something, we learn in every case that we have. I get my clock clean sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when that happens, I, I, I have an instance in mind that happened recently, by the way, and I've been practicing for a long time. <laughs> and I got my clock clean recently on something. And, and I tell you what, I, I learned. And, and the same thing is going right. to have to happen for the citizen litigant, uh, you know, uh, folks who are out there. So citizen litigants, if you start trying uh, this, uh, this may not be, you may end up doing much more than you think. I have one uh, past client. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mind me mentioning his name. His name is Brian Ames, A-M-E-S. 
this man has been fantastic. I, I worked with him on an initial public records lawsuit. He has now won multiple appeals. And I believe he's won an Ohio Supreme Court case in the public record wow. space. I think he's filed in excess of 20 lawsuits in the last five wow. or six years. And he's very successful. He's actually making law now as a pro se litigant holding his yeah. local officials accountable to public records issues and public meetings issues. And I, that's well, that's yeah, and I, I know we're probably running out of time, but you know, that's another issue you should pay attention to is the open meetings acts in your state. Your board of elections is holding meetings. Go to the meetings, watch what they're doing, see what the issues are. Um, so we need people to be watching what's happening at the local officials. That doesn't involve filing a complaint, but it may lead to a complaint if you see something going wrong. It may lead to a complaint if they're not letting the public come into the meeting. Um, it may lead to the complaint if they improperly go into an executive session where they hide something that they're talking about from the public. So, you know, watch and learn. <laughs> yeah, and learn. And don't quit, right? And don't, quit. don't quit. Just because you got a setback doesn't mean anything. It's, it's just what you said. It's practice. And we keep practicing until we win. Until victory right. is, is in our hands, we just keep going. Right. There are a lot of parallels in what you're saying with law and why we call it the practice of medicine, because each patient is different. There is no one size fits all if medicine is done properly. And it's our job to use our critical thinking skills to apply our knowledge and experience to the needs of that patient, which is exactly what a good lawyer does. You take your experience, your expertise, your knowledge of the law, and then you try to creatively problem solve the case that's before you right now. And that's the principle that we're asking the citizens to do. We have the Citizens Vaccine Injury Reporting System on our website, the only organization that has stepped up to make something for the citizens to report and make it user-friendly for you to do, to do the job the CDC and its multi-billion dollar agency is not doing. This is what these lawyers are doing. They are stepping up to give you, the citizens, we, the people, the tools to take back the rule of law that has been trampled upon in the last three years or longer, actually. But Right now, we're seeing we're at the tipping point. In America, all of you listening, are you going to help us get the rule of law reestablished using all of the tools, using your God-given creative mind to put to use the skills and tools of all of this team of experienced people that we're bringing to you to give you ideas, give you the help you need, you've got to choose to take it forward in your community. I want to thank Todd for your wonderfully creative, action-oriented idea. Your philosophy fits beautifully with my whole philosophy in running this public charity. We are the We the People charity funded by We the People small donors. It's not a private foundation. It's not the big donors. 
This is we the people, this is your voice and your creative approaches, our efforts on active action steps, Warner, everything you've done in, in the law, in fighting for election integrity, fighting against the mandates that are so illegal and so flagrantly a violation. All of this is critically necessary. America, this, these are the examples of the way that little David, all three of us are just one person, but we've taken the gifts God gives us, the strength and the fighting spirit, and we've put our stones in our slingshot and we're ready to go out there. So we need you to join us. Truthforhealth.org, healthfreedomcouncil.com, vaxchoice.com. We are your tools for action in your community. And that is today's segment of the Whistleblower Report. Tune in again tomorrow for our next edition. And for such a time as this, we bring you truth and solutions. Get loud, get involved, and let's take America back under the rule of law. God bless you. God bless America. And we'll be back for the next show. Stay tuned.